0: Okay, let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you again this morning. David, in fact, has invited us to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Yet, Lord, we come this morning perhaps distracted. Perhaps we come this morning worn down, or in fact, perhaps our desires in this world have overshadowed your truth, have overshadowed your love. Lord, we're asking you, we're pleading with you this morning, intervene through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit we ask you to open our eyes afresh, awaken our hearts to truly know you, that we would live genuinely this psalm of praise, no matter what tomorrow brings. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to bless you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Do this, we pray, for our good, and ultimately for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, uh, we had the opportunity of hearing from 1 Peter chapter 5. And these, uh, this one verse or actually two verses, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How did you go this last week believing that? I, I think for myself, it's, it's hearing God's truth on Sunday, I'm often encouraged. I often want to go out in this next week, changed, different. I want to imply or apply uh, these truths in such a way that people will see that I genuinely do trust this God, the one who cares for me. But why is why is it so hard to trust Him? Why is it so hard for us? to put our trust in this faithful God. I guess the question I have for you today is, do we know him well enough to trust him? Do we know him well enough to love him? In fact, to praise, to bless him. So that's, that's where we're headed today. We're looking at this psalm, Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms. Uh, in fact, Lisa has memorized this psalm because it's been uh, quite Im- impactful for us as a family and encouragement. And so if you're coming this morning feeling a bit worn out, looking for encouragement, you come the right day. This is encouraging. Uh, psalm 103 refocuses us on what it looks like to know God, to love God, in fact, to bless God. But I, I guess... Sometimes it's it's difficult because when we find ourselves introducing God to someone else, we hesitate, we stumble. Uh, in fact, I'd like to introduce you to someone this morning, but I'm not firsthand in this knowledge. I was only told it over a phone call this morning by my daughter. My daughter Anna went into the hospital last night. And gave birth to a little girl named Olivia Lindley. Now, that's about all I know. <laughs> You're gonna ask me afterwards okay, how much does she weigh? What time was she born? All those little details that I think I was told some of those things, but I don't remember. So, where do we go to find out the truth? Where do we go? for the person that is going to praise, make much of this little girl. Well, I would insist that you would go to Anna herself, for she's been anticipating this for nearly 10 months. And last night was quite an awakening for uh, her and her husband and Lisa, who was staying there. And there's a whole bunch of details that would be unpacked if you were to set one of them down because they intimately know all of those details that happened during the night. So where do we go? Where do we go to actually know God? Where do we not just find out the facts, but really intimately get to know him? And I think what's encouraging about Psalm 103 is because at the heart of it, God knows you. So if you want to open your Bibles, Psalm 103, we're going to start by looking in the middle at verse number 14. And it starts by this uh, small phrase it says, For he knows our frame. He knows our frame. Do you realize how much God knows about you? In fact, there's a there's a psalm written that talks just briefly about this. Psalm 139. Listen to this uh, unpacking of God's knowledge of you. It starts by saying, "O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways." Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows everything about us. He even knew us before we were born. God knows us, and yet, in contrast, he remembers that we are dust. God knows our limitations. He knows that we are just a passing breath. In fact, verse 15 continues by saying, As for men and women, his days are like grass, He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Now, these are just words on a page. Sometimes we kind of of quickly go across it, but as we reflect on this this morning, I thought I would give you a little bit of an illustration, because chances are you're not going to remember Everything I say this morning, but an illustration may help. So I have a surface here. Perhaps this is our life. Okay? And yes, I know it's it's quite large dust, but I figure you guys are quite significant. And I also wanted you to be able to see it. We're a bit like dust, eh kids? I don't know if you can see that back there, but this is, uh, this is, we're going to represent it as dust. So we kind of look at ourselves, and we kind of think to ourselves, we're fairly significant. Look at that. That's quite a bit of dust. And as we grow, we get bigger. And sometimes we have some things that we do in our life that, that give us strong identity. Perhaps we study very hard at school, and we get good grades. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good grades there. Uh, Perhaps we, we have, like, a very significant role or job. I know your moms give you guys some pretty special roles and responsibilities. And as we get older, we, we, start, we start accumulating a bunch of stuff. I don't know. We're just going to add the rest of it. That's a lot of stuff, okay? So we surround ourselves with a bunch of stuff, right? Giving ourselves identity, purpose, meaning. And yet the reality is, now Hugh's not going to like this because it's making a mess, the wind, the storms of life do blow. The wind, the storms of life blow. Hey kids, what do you think when the wind blows across this table? What's going to happen? It's going to fall off. What will be left on the table? Yeah. Only the wood of the table. There won't be anything left on there. You want me to try it? See what happens? Is it worth making the mess? Yep. Okay. <gasps> oh, well, that was the big storm of life. But actually, when we get to the end of life, even what remains blows away. <sighs> now, it's just an illustration but I think God wants us to start by knowing ourselves, knowing our limitation, and knowing the fact that God knows all of those details about us. When we get to the end of life, and then we add 10 years, 100 years, what will be the memory of us Have you wondered that? This is a topic that we avoid as Westerners. We don't like to talk about this, but it's true. It's real. And God reminds us that the winds pass over us. It is gone, and its place knows it no more. So where do we get our significance where do we get that lasting significance that we all desire? Well, this passage, I believe, works from the inside out. So if you like to follow things logically, you're going to be a little bit frustrated with me. But we're going to jump now to verse number six. And this is helping us to know who God is. How do we know? who God is. Well, it's not just the facts about him. I want us to unpack this morning his character, his attributes, the things that are true about God. Verse 6, and we will not spend a lot of time on each of these because they're full. Each verse is full. Verse 6 says, "The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed." Have you ever thought to yourself, life is not fair? Life is not fair. Or you have seen injustice. Well, God is the God of justice. He's the God who is right or righteous. In fact, uh, if you take a different form of the word righteous and you say righteous-fied, that's what justified is, making rights. God is the God who is just. But that's not all. Verse 7, he says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What comes to your mind when you think about Moses? What comes to your mind when you think of the acts to the people of Israel? Well, this is actually referring back to a passage in Exodus. Exodus is where the Israelites, who had been oppressed as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, 400 years, Moses was given the message by God, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, that they may go and worship their God. Well, there was a whole bunch of plagues, 10 plagues, in fact, that demonstrated God's power and his significance in comparison to the gods that the Egyptians trusted in. But even as they came out of Egypt, and started following Moses. Remember Moses went up into the mount to meet with God, and there was the two tablets of stone, which God wrote with his own finger, the commandments, the way in which we should live with God in relationship. How did those Israelites react? Do you remember? Not, not very well, actually. Because Moses was up on the top of the hill for a long time, 40 days, 40 nights. He was up there. And while he was away, lo and behold, they said to themselves, we don't know what's happened to him. In fact, we don't even know if he's coming back. And so they turned away from God to something else. Do you remember what they turned to? To That's right, to a golden calf. They made a golden calf to worship. They turned away. And when Moses came down, he broke the tablets, which represented a breaking of the covenant with his people. They had broken covenant with God. They had turned away. And yet God mercifully, mercifully responded to Moses' pleas of intercession. And Moses goes back up into the mountain. The Lord uh, uh, writes afresh on two new tablets. And these words come out in verse 6 of chapter 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. And transgressions and sin. But who will be no means clear the guilt oh or who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us if it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance god is a god of history god is a god of forgiveness god is a god of power as he demonstrated to the Israel, uh, to the egyptians and god is merciful and gracious when we turn away from him. He continues in verse 9. He says, He will not always chive or accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. This is the God who forgives us. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He completely forgives us as we turn back to him. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, this is not saying that God gets his idea of parenting from us. He doesn't observe us and says, okay, as you guys do this fathering on earth, that's what my compassion looks like. No, it's completely the opposite As fathers on earth, as as mothers on earth, we want to model that compassion, that mercy, that grace, that forgiveness, that nurturing, that intentionality that God himself does. For as a father shows, shows compassion on his children, and even we fathers know how to give good gifts, the Lord himself is not going to give us a stone when we ask for something else. He knows what's good for us. In fact, he's compassionate and gracious to us in this. Verse 17, remember how we started by God knowing our frame, remembering that we are dust, we are but a vapor? Verse 17, in direct contrast, says "But." The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. God is eternal. In comparison to our brief moment that we have here on earth, God is the direct opposite. In fact, he is the self-existing one. He was never created like we were. He's always been and he will never die. He is eternal. Verse 17, to those who keep his commandments and remember to do his commandments. Oh, no, (laughs) to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. There is a responsibility that we have. There is an expectation That as God demonstrates and shows to us his great love, his character, his attributes, may we keep them, may we hold fast to them, his covenant and his commandments. May we not be like the Israelites that turned away so quickly. And in fact, you might have noticed that this word, those who keep his covenant, is similar to those who fear him. That's repeated three times above. This is an act of recognizing that God is holy. When we come into his presence, may we come in adoration and in awe before him. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is sovereign over all people, over all things. This is the God that we can trust because we know that he is just, he is faithful through history, he is all-powerful, he is merciful, gracious, forgiving, compassionate, eternal, self-existing, sovereign, holy. There's one more phrase that you might have heard four times in what we just read. Verse eight says, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11 says, so great is his steadfast love. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord. And earlier in the chapter, which we haven't read yet, verse 3 says, Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? The God that we worship, the God that we turn to and trust, the God that we humble ourselves before, is the God that not only is true in all of these ways, but he is also loving. He's the God that puts together perfectly what is true and what is loving. We try to do that at times. I don't know if you've tried to take what is true in our minds and connect it to our hearts. The emotion of our our own being. A poem like this helps us to do that. It reminds us of the things about God. It reminds us of ourself and our limitations and how he cares for us, how he loves us. So, he knows you. Do you know the Lord? But secondly, do you love the Lord? And this is how our chapter expands. In verse 3-5, through five, David has a personal, intimate love with God, not just a knowledge of his attributes and character. If you know anything about David, he was the king of Israel, the united nation of Israel that saw three kings. Saul, David, and Samson, or Solomon, sorry, <laughs> Solomon. David was that king from the tribe of Judah from whom we in the Old Testament were waiting for the long expected king from that same tribe Jesus himself David though had turned away from God a few times in fact Psalm 51 uh, echoes his heart and repentance and turning back to God So David knew firsthand, and yet in verse verse 2, it says, and forget not all of his benefits, forget not all of his dealings, and how he has personally been in your own life. What are these evidences of grace in your own life? Now, you may have been a Christian just recently or for a number of years, Or maybe you're still considering what it means to put your faith in this God. But regardless of our knowledge and understanding of God, we often forget. Our minds bring in uh, information, facts, memories, and yet we often forget. And so David says, forget not all of his benefits, his dealings, Verse 3, here's the list. Who forgives all your iniquity. That was significant for David. It was significant for us. Who heals all your diseases. Now that one's maybe confusing to you because you think, oh, hold on a second. I'm still struggling or someone I know is still struggling. I believe David is talking about the things that God puts in our lives, particularly To wake us up to the fact that we have turned away from Him. Things that He's allowed in our lives to discipline us, to draw us back to Him, to grow us, to mature us. In those particular things, He heals all of them. It continues by saying, Who redeems your life from the pit? Now, when I think of the pit, I think of Joseph. He was thrown in the pit by his brothers, left for dead. In fact, his oldest brother came along to kind of rescue him later on and then found that he was gone. He had been sold as a slave to the, uh, eventually to the Egyptians. And yet, at the end of his life, Joseph reflected on his experience of the pit which was more than once, and said that his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God redeems our life from the pit. He takes the bad and makes it into good. Not that bad becomes good, but he uses the bad in our life to mold and shape and draw us to to himself. Much like the prodigal son who came to his senses after uh, spending all the inheritance that was given, as he turned back to his father, his father as well, graciously, mercifully, reunited with his son, gave him the identity that he was a part of the family, Placing on him the ring, the robe, and acknowledging that his son had, had come home. He who was dead is, is alive and celebrated. It continues by saying, Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? He gives us a testimony, a crown, a joy. In his steadfast love and mercy. In fact, he satisfies you with good so that your re- youth is renewed like the eagle's. What is it like to experience God's faithfulness in your life? Oftentimes we forget. David says, Forget not all of his benefits, forget not all of the ways in which he has dealt. So kindly with you, how he has intervened, how he has turned bad in your life into good and growth and love for him and others. Are you satisfied with God? When you look at your life and you think all of the things that you've added to it, what gives you identity? purpose and meaning. Is it not our identity with Christ? He's the one that truly satisfies us. He's the one that truly uh, fulfills all of our longings. In fact, he renews us from the inside out, and we soar like eagles. This This was David's intimate relationship that he had with God I'm challenging myself and you as you listen this next week get to know God through his word hearing him speak speaking back to him in prayer crying out to him using psalms like this to echo the desires of your mind into your heart. May we be genuine followers of this God. Now, this psalm doesn't end here. It doesn't end with him knowing us, or in fact, us knowing the Lord, or loving the Lord, but David is inviting us to, in fact, bless the Lord. Praise him. As I mentioned earlier about having a new granddaughter, if you spoke to my daughter, Anna, like I did on the phone, she was bubbling with joy in this gift that God has blessed them with. And she expressed to me not just the details, but the experience of this new relationship and the joy that she has with her husband. David is inviting us to introduce to those around us this God, the God that we know, the God that we love. This is how he bookends the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What does it look like to bless the Lord? Don't you wish when the Bible gives you a word and you don't quite understand it that it would also give you the definition? Well, the nice thing is the book of Psalms is a big book. This is a big book, okay? The book of Psalms uh, has quite a few Psalms. What is it? I can't remember. Is it 150? Let's look. 150 Psalms. That's a lot of psalms. How do you think this was arranged? This was arranged so that we would bless the Lord, that we would, in fact, as Psalm 100 begins, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, And we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generation. Bless the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make much of the Lord. Give testimony to the Lord. That's what it means to bless the Lord. Now, as we, as we think about this passage and we're invited by David, I, I pray that we would combine what is true, what is loving, That he would unite our hearts, not with the facts about God, but the personal knowledge, experience of God's faithfulness. That we would have love and emotion that would be connecting our heads with our hearts, with our body, with our soul. With we as individuals to the group of believers. And that our identity would come from God and not ourselves. Now, if you, if you remember, we, we were talking about this, this flat table with really nothing left on it. And you thought, okay, we're dust. I get it. But aren't we also, when we get wet, clay? Aren't we moldable? Can't we be shaped into something? Well, It's true, the Bible talks about how clay is molded and shaped, often by the storms of life, often by God's faithfulness in our life, those evidences of grace. He molds us, shapes us, not into just little pots, (laughs) but cracked pots. Now, that's a funny kind of thing, isn't it? But I think as we're molded and shaped by God, we often have scars of this world. We often have cracks, much like this small pottery (laughs) has a bunch of holes in it. And we think to ourselves, boy, there's, there's there's a bit of, I guess, significance because of God molding and shaping us. And yet... If you were to go get a glass of water after the service, it would leak. It would leak. But not only the storms in life does God allow, but even sometimes the fire. The fire that refines us. The fire that reminds us of what he has done through his Son in our life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Where does our identity come? Our identity comes from Christ. In fact, Christ is the perfect illustration of what it means for truth and love to come together. The book of John puts it this way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory from the Father of the only only begotten Son, who was given to us in grace and in truth. He perfectly combines grace and truth, what we know and what we love, because he came to give us meaning and purpose in this life. Because of Christ, people don't see us. They see him, the one that we trust. As we were challenged last week to humble ourselves, to trust him. To not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, but that we would fully trust Him and, in fact, let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify God, not us. So may our lives be a testimony of God's grace in our life this week as we shine for him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we we come to you again today in thanksgiving and in praise because you have come. Your son has taken upon himself the punishment that we deserved Lord, you have made a way through Christ's death and resurrection for our relationship with you to be restored. But Lord, he was also raised. That resurrection power gives us the grace for what tomorrow holds, the strength, the foundation, The certainty that we can trust you, our eternal God, no matter what tomorrow brings. May we be a shining light and testimony of your love and faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.